welcome to um, Better Homes and Dungeons. Uh, I am still not very good at introducing people, so I will let my guest um, introduce himself. Hey there. All right. Hi. Hey, uh, I'm Daniel Kwan. I am the co-host and GM of Asians Represent. I'm a freelance designer, educator, and I've been playing D&D for oof, over two decades and working in sort of the design and therapy space for a while now. That's very cool. Do, do you use much of your D&D stuff in the therapy space? Yeah, actually. Um, I actually run an organization here in Toronto called Level Up Gaming. We help adults with autism and other disabilities uh, develop their social skills using D&D. That is cool. That's, it's not the first time I've heard of it being used for that. Um, if you don't mind my asking, um, what does that yeah. look like? Yeah, well, I mean, with, with COVID-19, it's going to start looking differently. Um, <laughs> a lot of Roll20. A lot of Roll20. Actually, we're going to do a mixture of Roll20 and uh, OneNote, actually, of all things. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll explain why. Um, we've been doing it for about four years, and what we usually do is it's in person. Uh, each session has a – they run for eight to ten weeks, once a week for three hours, we have up to six participants come in. Uh, we have intake forms done. Uh, each session basically looks like uh, a regular D&D game. Uh, nothing is different. The rules are slightly augmented to kind of facilitate role play. So XP is done using milestones, but it's also earned through goals. Um, there's a GM and an occupational therapist at every session. The occupational therapist kind of watches over the players, and the GM also does that uh, while tailoring the evolving story to their needs. Um, every participant has to set goals, and these goals are evaluated at the end of every session, um, and they get hero points. We're actually using that variant rule from the, I think it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide, and uh, hero points are basically an incentive to work on their social skill goals. And we, so we run it like that for eight to 10 weeks. Now we're transitioning to doing something online. Uh, so OneNote is a really good way for us to do that because we can keep uh, their individual goals separate in a locked section in a OneNote notebook. That's really cool. <laughs> Thank that you. Is, that is wonderfully cool. Like, do you, do you use a, um, a homebrew or have you got a module that you use? Uh, so modules make it difficult because uh, the needs of every participant are so different week to week that a module is too restrictive. Uh, so it's all set in – actually, I actually playtest a lot of the Asians Represent stuff with Level of Gaming. So it's always set in our ah. Asians Represent world. <laughs> uh, it, it lessens the workload for me and it allows yeah. me to focus on the participants and uh, so it's set in the Asians represent world of the sort of sh kingdom of Xia right now. Um, but we use like just standard D and D. Th that's just being efficient. I think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know um, the D eight summit people? No, I've never heard of that. You should definitely look them up. Um, I'll shoot you the details of someone I spoke to. Ooh, three. Maybe four weeks ago now? Sorry, time right now is a very interesting concept to me. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, they do a lot of um, fundraising and charity events. And the guy, one of the guys who runs it or, or founds it, and, or sorry, founded it, um, a fellow by the name of Connor. Um, lovely okay. fellow. 
absolutely lovely dude. Um, I think he's based up in Canada as well, or pretty close to Canada, I think. Please forgive me for okay. being very bad at geography um, with your part of the world. Um, no worries. You're on like a small island compared to... It's not a small island. It's a look, huge island on the other side of the world. My, my favorite summary of what it means to be a white Australian is as follows. I'm a white man in a black man's country in the middle of Asia. That is a very good way of describing being a white Australian. <laughs> it is the best way I've heard, and it was from a comedian, and I just sat there for like, I had to pause what I was watching and just think, that's broken, oh, yeah. like, in a great way. Like, I'm... That's, that's so true. It is the best. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to keep comedian. that one. I'm going to keep that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, gosh darn, writing that down. Um, but yeah, he's a, um, a high school counselor and he uses um, role-play games and whatnot, I believe, in his role um, in, in counseling children, in counseling teens, I should say, rather. And right. he actually finds that it's, it is a really therapeutic thing. So it is. it's great to see D&D doing good. Yeah, I, I love it. It's, I mean, it's low risk. So that means you can experiment, try out things and... I mean, with role-playing games, I mean, if you make a mistake socially, you could always just, like, let's take a step back and try it again, right? So it's so low stakes. It is, yeah. Um, unless you believe the evangelical Christians of a few decades ago and believe that we might be summoning the devil, in which case it's... Um, it's a little eh, bit different, then. Worth the risk, I guess. Um, so, Daniel, pl- please tell me more about Asians Represent. How did this come to be? Yeah, so... It's funny, a couple now going on two years ago, my co-host Agatha came up to me and was like, hey, Daniel, um, I want to start a podcast in gaming. I don't know what it's going to be about, but I want it to be a gaming podcast. And I heard you had podcasting experience. And I did. I had been podcasting outside of gaming for about three years. I had, mm-hmm. I had a show, it's still available, called Curiosity and Focus. And it was kind of like, I'm going to talk to people I think are interesting. So I talked to, like, doctors, uh, MMA fighters. I talked to Simu Liu, uh, like, actors, stuff like that. And uh, so Agatha was like, yeah, I want to do a podcast about gaming. I don't know what. And I was like, okay, I'm down. Let's do something. And she's like, do you have an idea? I'm like, okay. There are so many gaming podcasts out there. And there are so many people who are making actual plays. You know, how can we be... We're not going to be original because there are already all of these podcasts out there. We have to be either completely different in the same genre or better. So I said, okay, let, let's be completely different. And so I looked and I said, there are no people, no Asians producing in North America producing tabletop gaming podcasts to talk about Asian issues. So I said, let's do this. And so I actually shot a message to James D'Amato, who's the head of the OneShot Network. And I was like, hey, I have this idea. Um, I want to do a podcast. It's going to be an all-Asian production. And we're just going to talk about Asian issues and tabletop RPGs. Can we be on the network? And he said, absolutely, you can. And so, yeah. And so we, we put out the first episode. And then we realized, actually, no, we didn't put out the first episode. We made the announcement at Gen Con 2018. 2018. Yeah, 2018. And 
people were coming up to me after and they were like, oh my God, this is so awesome. I've been looking, I've been looking for this like my entire gaming career. I was like, oh, I guess we stumbled upon something that people really wanted and didn't really exist. And so we started putting out one episode a month and there was just this high demand for more content. So we started doing two episodes a month and then people started asking us to play games. And then so we started playing games and then Dungeons and Asians happened and just things kind of just blew up. And I can't kind of, that's where we have found ourselves now. That is very cool. Um, how, how does Dungeons and Asians, um, how, how does that differ from say things like sneak attack or, um, say how we roll? Yeah. So, oh, I, shout out to how we roll. I love them. Those, those uh, boys are great. Yeah, I love them. Um, no, so the the what makes it different is is the stories being told. I mean, we're all playing the same game, uh, but it's the stories being told and how we're telling them. So we're playing fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. We're using the fifth edition rules, but we're not using any of the fifth edition classes, and it's not send the forgotten realms. So everything in Dungeons and Dragons is all homebrew. Uh, because we wanted to tell Asian stories and bring Asian experiences into Dungeons and Dragons media. And they weren't being told, or if they were being told, they were being told by white people. Um, There are an unbelievable amount of L5R podcasts out there um, that are produced by white people. It's it's a great game, but yes, I I can see where that would be a case of, uh, guys, like, I respect your enthusiasm. (laughs) Yes. I'm all about... You know, create whatever you want to create until it harms people. That's kind of where I sit. When people ask yeah, me, hey, can fair. I make this? I'm like, you don't need to ask my permission as long as you aren't making something that paints me and others who identify like me in a negative or stereotypical light. Uh, so Dungeons & Asians has custom classes because all of the classes of D&D are extremely Eurocentric. So we made classes that were actually relevant to the setting so right now within our our greater world of fantasy asia our story is set in fantasy china so all of our classes right now are relative to chinese culture as Um, we branch off and something like say um uh the romance of the three kingdoms or yeah we're actually we're actually being our story is set in the, a fantastical analogy to the Han Dynasty, which was the period that came just before the Three Kingdoms. Okay. Can, can I ask yeah. you a question? Because I'm, I'm going to make the bold assumption that you've read the book or, or, or you, you know what I'm talking about with the Three Kingdoms. Yes. yes. Awesome. Yeah. Favorite character? Oh, like, hand, like, like Guan Yu is one of the favorites, but only because my <laughs> Chinese name, like my family is Guan. Um, oh. And my chi- and I'm actually named after Guan Yu's son, Guan Ping. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, his adopted son, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He but got killed. You, you but need you, you need the beard. It's impossible. It's impossible. It would never happen. <laughs> but I, I'm my my Chinese name is Guan Ji Ping, so I, I have the same name as Guan Yu's son in Romance of the Three Kingdoms. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty I, sweet. I think it was the um. Oh, it was the siege at he. Farm, I think it was where he finally fell, and it was after he had like the bone scraping, where he's like, you know, he's like, all right, you just do what you do, Doc, and he's like playing chess and joking with his friends while the doctor is like doing deep oh, bone they, surgery on his arm. And this would have been if this was like a, a real event. This would have been without anesthesia. 
he probably had a few drinks. Yes. <laughs> no local anesthesia. You can get something else up there. But yeah, I, like we set it around that time period and we made classes that were that reflected Chinese culture. Okay. Um, so that we weren't having paladins running around in fantasy China with game mechanics and narrative sort of touch points that didn't relate to the culture. Okay. So that was kind of our concept. Yeah. That is very cool. Could, could you give me, say, one or two of those classes just to show where they differ? Say, well, Yeah, yeah, totally. For, for example, you just said paladin. What would the equivalent be? Uh, so that's Agatha's character is a sky soldier. So the, the sky soldier is kind of like a demigod, um, but they, they're a character that owes some of their heritage to the divine. So unlike the paladin, who is often a character who is blessed by the divine with gifts because of their, um, you could say because of their faith, this character's faith is not really a core mechanic. It's more of their origin. So this is a character who has dual lives. They've been reincarnated as a mortal um, but with some divine gifts. Um, so mechanically, they have um, a past life and a current life, and their past and current life inform their narrative and some of their abilities. So we're actually making these classes as we tell the story based on how we want the narrative to flow. Uh, Steve's character is a Yosha, which is essentially, it would be the equivalent to, say, a ranger rogue, uh, but it's basically a knight errant, like a vagrant knight, or in Japan it might be a ronin. Uh, so, and then we have the martial artist, which is the one that most people say, "Oh, well, why don't you just play monks?" Um, the martial artist is kind of our response to the monk fighter. One of the things I hate about Z and D is how the monk ha- is so limited in what kind of weapons they could use. But when you look historically at martial arts and the Shaolin, which are the most famous, they are proficient in so many weapons, and that's not present in D&D. What's also present in D&D is this idea that all people who fight with their body, people who, uh, you know, you could say are coded within the D&D book as Asian are all spiritual because they have this, this chi, this power, right? But we wanted to present a class that wasn't spiritual and was reflective of the kind of martial arts training that you still see to this day. Yeah. Or, or in some <laughs> cases do to this day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that does sound really cool. I, I was, I was going to ask, um, whereabouts would say, um, and I apologize now. Um, that's okay. Any pronunciation. That's well, whereabouts, okay. okay. My, my favorite character from the three kingdoms is, um, Juge Liang. Okay. He's hands down. Like, I love Guan Yu. I think Guan Yu's very, very cool in rock and roll. But uh, uh, the advisor to Liu Bei? Yeah, yeah. Did, did he, I pronounce he's it like, correct? Liu Bei. Yeah, you got that word right. No. He, so you're, you're talking about somebody who's like a politician, a strategist, a tactician, something like that. Bit of a wizard, too. Like, he does do some yeah. kind of magic they're stuff a, as well. They're a scholar. Um, we're working on something like that. It would have been, we're, we're calling it tentatively. We're calling it the sage, uh, but that has its own implications. One of the, the things that you'd see in D and D is a lot of these like famous historical figures who are like these jacks of all trades. They were like warriors, but then they were also writers and artists. They were like off the bat, multi-class D and D characters. So it's really hard to kind of 
pin them on a fifth edition one. But right now it would be between the sage and something that we're calling uh, at the moment the diviner. Yeah, that, that would make sense with him. Like, I don't remember any stage where he actually, where, where, like in the book rather, where, where he picks up a weapon and mm-hmm. has at anyone. But he's very, very much in touch with, say, the, the movements of the elements, the mm-hmm. the situation he's in. And if you had, okay, people listening, if you haven't read the Three Kingdoms, the the main stories you need to know about this this boy to just know how, how cool this guy is. <laughs> is A, how he gathers arrows under pain of death, which is great, and the story um, where he's in the fortress playing a zither. Yeah, that in one, many ways, it would also, he, would, he would also be like the D&D bard. There's a lot of confidence in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, also I, for people who are listening, like if you're going to dive into the Three Kingdoms, be prepared to read a lot. Yes, you you can get a pretty good abridged version, um, which is what I've read four or five times. And w- when I was an ESL teacher, one of my um, Thai students told me, "You should never trust anyone who's read the book more than three times because they know too much." <laughs> I'm like, nice. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm not a good person, <laughs> but it's a good book. Um, yeah, yeah. I've actually, I, I've got a character in my homebrew game at the moment who is based on what I think Zhuge Liang might be like in some ways. But cool. I do not wish to reveal too much. Um, one of the things we, we definitely brought was was the multi shot crossbow, which yeah. I know in the, like, well the the repeating crossbow was his invention. I know. I know, it's like, super cool. I know, like Chokunu is like our idiotic English, ang- sorry, our idiotic anglicized way of pronouncing it because we can't say it right. Is what it's, I it's, read. It, it's really interesting because when you look at the Chinese repeating crossbow and then you look at it in D anD D, they are two entirely different weapons. Two entirely yeah. different weapons. The D anD D one is just like you know what, you don't have to reload; it just lets you kind of go through it. But the Chinese repeating crossbow was designed to be very easy to make. And it wasn't very accurate because the whole idea was that, especially during times like the Boxer Rebellion, where they used, where like, you know, like lower class citizens and peasants used the repeating crossbow, you just would spray within an area and like an enclosed area. And you would tip your, your, your darts, your bolts in poison. So you're not going to kill somebody by shooting them with the bullet. You're going to kill somebody with poison. So it's very interesting, that, that crossbow. I actually, you can find, it's really neat. Um, I mean, it would be hard to do right now because we're all on quarantine. But you could actually find 3D print files of working Chinese repeating crossbows. And you could 3D print one to fire Q-tips. I don't know what you call them in Australia, you know, like the ear uh, things. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean, yeah. So if you, you could actually, I printed one off years ago. It was about like, like as big as a smartphone. And I could put, cut off the ends of Q-tips in it. And then I could actually work a repeating crossbow like they would in China. And it would shoot Q-tips. This is another reason I don't have a 3D printer because I would do that. And I don't I, have one either. I had to use the library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I could not be trusted with that. I'd be, I'd be in trouble with a lot of people a lot of the time. Also, all the D and D minis. 
Yeah, that that too. And it's like, well, all, all my games take place on Roll Twenty. <laughs> they oh, always okay. have. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I'm stuck. No. Um. Yeah. Cool. I, I I agree with you that it would be very difficult to put someone like um Juge Liang in there. Like, part of me would think his manipulate his manipulative abilities aren't down to necessarily charisma, but would be more down to say an intelligence or an insight base instead. Because yeah. it's not so much. He believes he's the coolest, sexiest person around, like bards do. Um, it's more, I have an understanding of what this person will do, and based on that, this is what we do. Yes. It's, 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 well, it's, it's pure wit. It's wisdom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I find, like, the charisma is a very Western thing. Given the state of um, Western politics right now, unfortunately, that is extremely correct. Yeah. Um, it, it'd be great if we could, say, look at their wisdom stat or intelligence stat and make an informed decision, but unfortunately, we can't. That'd be... Yeah, if, if you could look at the character sheet for every political candidate, that would make life a lot easier. I thought we, we could, could just see. have a... I, I was going to say, if you, <laughs> say, had to pick a class... <laughs> no, 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 if no, I had no, to pick no. A, if I had okay, to pick go, 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 a, go, go. I know I, I know exactly what I would if I had to pick a class for the president of the United States right now, he would be the Pathfinder Bard. I have never played Pathfinder, but I understand the Bard enough to say, yeah, probably. Like he's I think there's a definite there's a definite kind of charisma there. There's there's the, it's it's the Bard at its worst. Yes. Uh, depend if you build it right, they actually can get an ability where when you enter a town, you can you're an instant celebrity and people flock to you. But you also have spells where you can incite large crowds into violence. It's it's a yes, that that piece of, is the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a piece of very poor game design. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ask, I mean, uh, that's just asking for trouble. It is. I agree. <laughs> I, I would be like, yeah, that, that ability doesn't exist in this universe. No. No, Tyler. You yeah. can't have it. Because I cannot. know which... No, I, I know which of my players would do it, and it's, it's him. Um, <laughs> cool. So... Oh, gosh, sorry. I just had a mental blank. This is terrible. Um, so That's why you can, D &D. you can edit. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, look, I, I generally... I'm cool with letting people see behind the curtain and see that I'm really not as bright or polished as I'd like to be. Because I think that's a wonderful aspect of being human. Oh, yeah, for sure. It He's makes you more say, authentic. Teach me, because I'm an idiot, or at least ignorant. <laughs> um, now, there was recently a, um, a product brought out uh, for the Conan um, oh, roleplay yeah. game. And I have seen a few people discuss this on, on Twitter. Not a lot of very positive stuff is being said. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, Conan the Wanderer. I tweeted about that this morning, and um, man, that product is so incredibly flawed. If you look on the the, the website for it, there is an uh, ungodly amount of terrible content there. Like they they added new character archetypes to it. Like so, I have it right here. It's they have the beggar, the court official, the emissary, the horse nomad, the mystic, and the vagabond, and they have new kingdoms. So they have Gulistan, Hyrcania, Iranistan, Kosala, Ventia, 
and the mysterious Kitai. So, on, on top of that, on top of that, like, like the Conan universe is in general just generally very racist. Like Robert E. Howard's work is. It does. It doesn't. It's bad. It doesn't hold up. I mean, there are there are there are a lot of flaws to to the way he portrayed these low fantasy worlds. And he it's. I mean, it's very akin to what Tolkien did, but at least not as bad as what Lovecraft did. Um, yeah. yeah, like Tolkien. Part of me wants to give him. A, okay, not a complete pass, but a certain amount of pass. But even though it's like, oh, mm, mm, I, I, I personally mm. only give Tolkien a bit of a pass because a lot of the Lord of the Rings came from his his own personal trauma from the First World War. Mm. So I, I give him that. Um, but I mean, the Easterlings are like the only real Eastern people that you hear about in Lord of the Rings, and they're evil. Orcs are just a, a, a abused an allegory. People. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and orcs are just an allegory for you know people who have dark skin and or yeah. abused white people who become dark skinned and cruel. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I see, I see there there are issues with what he did, and I love to think that I'm grown up enough to at least to be able to go. Yeah, it's not perfect. One um, I've heard is that um, dwarves are apparently coded as uh, Jewish people, and part of me is like, I don't, I don't know enough. Actually, I'm going to put my hands up. I, 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 I always saw them as like small Vikings, given their art styles. But okay, you could uh, you could say small Vikings because the dwarves, especially in like the Hobbit, are all about their treasure and stuff. Mm. I, I think. I like the I I like the idea that they're small Vikings just because of the way they're portrayed in media. Yeah. And I would I would I would tend to lean towards that as well, but I wouldn't pa- put it past Tolkien. Um, mm. I think Tolkien also does a very poor job of representing women in Middle Earth. Why? Because there's only one. I think that there's there's <laughs> two? like two. two. <laughs> Okay, so he's... Oh, no, three, three, three. There's Arwen, Galadriel, and Eowyn. Yeah. I mean, Galadriel's cool, but it's like, yeah, but you... Look, one example of good behavior, my friend, does not, you know... Yeah. Yeah, and then they tried to overcome that with the, you know, the the Hobbit trilogy, and they added Tariel, but then she just became this very one-dimensional character who's only real role in the movie was to be a love interest so that didn't really do them any favors either that wasn't even an interesting character for a dwarf Uh, they should have just kept it to one movie they they should have they should have made it lighthearted and like the kids book that the hobbit is yeah that would have been nice we would have had a nice time Uh, yeah i i I would have hoped for that um but they didn't i i think that there are a lot of i they, they they continue to publish you know Middle Earth role playing games, and they continue to publish these Conan role playing games and these Lovecraftian role playing games. What, but what I think needs to be done is, you know, reclaiming these genres. And there, there is actually a very good designer who's done that with that Lovecraftian yeah. sort of side of things, and that's Chris Spivey. He did Harlem Unbound and Haunted West. Uh, I'm one of the writers on Haunted West. Oh, cool. He did it. He did a very good job with Harlem Unbound. If if you're unfamiliar with that, I'm I I'm not the, 
I I'm not a like a Lovecraft fan. I think like oh that art's kind of neat, but I don't like him as a person, so I'm not going to really dive into his work. Yeah. Um, but I think <laughs> oh, like sorry. the fact that ha- Haunted West or Harlem Unbound exist, I think, is like a really positive you know step forward. I think when you can take something that's written with hate and fear and distrust, and you can say right. There's something here I can use. I'm going. I'm going to go into this shit show, and I'm going to come out with something that people can actually enjoy. Like cosmic horror is, I think, a very very cool thing for people mm. to play with. Like if that's something they do want to play with, because it says to you, your life is small and insignificant, and you can be snuffed out in an instant. But, but it is possible for you. And the people for you to be there for the people around you to do something significant. And I yeah. think that's great. But yeah, like honestly, dude was bad. Yeah, yeah. So I, I generally don't like. I am playing in a Lovecraftian game. I'm playing in a Delta Green game right now, but I'm oh, only cool. playing in it because um, I, I like the people who are who are in the group. Uh, they are they are real life friends of mine. Um, but I think also, like, my lack of knowledge on Lovecraft is actually playing into my character, who is just discovering what all these horrors are. So kind of works into the roleplay because it's, gen- it's genuine. You, you, you can, you can roleplay Daniel. <laughs> exactly. What's the character's name, Daniel? Danny? Danny, the U- Deputy U.S. Marshal. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Um, out of curiosity, to, to open this up, We've discussed some very bad examples of things, and, and we've mentioned one or two good ones. What would you say are the, are the ones that people should really, really look at in order to get a better appreciation and understanding of Asian cultures in tabletop RPGs? Like, I've played L5R um, yep. with a buddy, and it's a system, I love it, but I don't know if it was maybe the culture that they were looking at really impacted that much on the way it was constructed or if they just had a really cool system and then threw a pretty interesting mythos at it. Yeah. Um, okay. So a couple of ones that I think are really good. Uh, the first one, and this is a completely unbiased opinion, uh, is, is called unbreakable. Uh, unbreakable isn't out yet. It's an anthology. It's, it's kind of a, a, a spiritual successor to the uncaged anthologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of the writers on it. Uh, Unbreakable is a, um, an anthology of adventures written, illustrated and edited by Asian creators. Um, and that's not out yet, but you could go to unbreakablerpg.com to uh, sign up for uh, email notifications for the release of it. And that should come out this year Very on cool. drive through RPG. So that's a cool one. There are a lot of really good adventures in there. What I like about it is that they didn't just bring in people who are high-profile members of the community. They brought in a lot of first-time creators, which I thought was really, really really awesome. Uh, So there's Unbreakable, which is for those who are super into 5th edition. Uh, There is also the Islands of Sina Una. Uh, So the Islands of Sina Una is a 5th edition book set in the Philippines. So it's inspired by Filipino mythology. It's a campaign setting um, that I really, really like. I'm not a part of it, 
but I know a lot of people who are on the project, and I think it's wonderful. There's also another fifth edition uh, Filipino book called Islands and Aswangs. Um, that's another sort of setting that draws more on the mythology. What's neat about that one is that it was actually made and funded by a Filipino cultural center here in Toronto, which I think is cool. That is cool. Um, there's, ooh, is, is, so your question, would it just be for D&D would it, or would it just be tabletop RPGs? Tabletop RPGs or, you know what, I, I'm going to say anything. Like, okay. If you had to pick, all right, Zugai, um, my name, um, what are the, this, are the, this is the good stuff. If you want to have yeah. a really cool understanding and introduction, because I will, I will level with you, I know nothing about Filipino anything other than the people I know who are all lovely. Yeah, so I, I would pick those two. I would do Unbreakable because that, that one's kind of a pan-Asian sort of game. I think one that really touches on that sort of Asian experience is called uh, It Was Never Yours. Uh, it's a small game. I think it's a work in progress, but it's available now. It's by Bashir Gauss. Uh, that game is um, kind of an it's kind of an examination of the current state of museology and archaeology. So for context, like I was before we were talking earlier and how we both work in sales. Uh, before this, I was an academic archaeologist. So I, yeah, so that's where a lot of, that's, that's where my role play style comes in. I'm really into the cultures. I'm really into the world. Um, so I was, have a master's in Japanese archaeology. I dug for the Vatican in Jordan. Uh, and I worked in China for my doctoral work. Um, but It Was Never Yours is a really cool game because it kind of is about breaking into the British Museum and stealing artifacts back for the countries that they belong to. I respect that. And I think that's cool. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's a very not so subtle commentary on British map making and colonialism. <laughs> yes. As someone whose life has been very, shall we say, influenced by British colonialism, i.e. I live in one of their bigger colonies. Yeah. Just, I'm just looking at the map on the wall and thinking, technically, would we be the biggest? Because I don't know. I think, uh, I think you'd be the biggest. Biggest one and, of them. And, and, and maybe not the most interesting. Um, although everyone's interesting, really, Joshua. Um, uh, Australia Australia is very cool. It's problem is there are so many scary animals there. <laughs> they're not that bad. That, that being said, uh, um, one of my clients did tell me a story recently. Uh, he lives up on an acreage in the, um, the very, very northern part of the uh, east coast of New South Wales. And he saw a brown snake. Um, okay. To, to put in perspective, Australia does have a lot of snakes which are pretty bad. And, you know, you, you can generally check by, like, the reaction of a local to which snake you mention. It's like, oh, red belly black snake, eh, you'll be fine. You, you'll be upset, but you'll be fine. Brown snake. <laughs> oh. Oh. You've got your affairs in order then, do you? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not good. So that is probably... Oh, no, actually, I do have one story that's slightly better. Um, my wife is from Russia. Her first trip okay. that she came here, her and I were sitting on the couch watching a movie, and she was just, you know, holding a cushion and just hugging it and cuddling it for some reason. I don't know. And I just looked down by chance, and I saw a red-backed spider 
on the cushion. And they are the second most venomous spider we have in the country. Okay. And I just said to my wife, who was at the time, not my wife yet, and I said, hey, um, I don't mean to alarm you. Um, hold still. Don't move. Uh-huh. And to her credit, she froze perfectly. And I grabbed the, the cushion and just, you know, put it on the ground and just proceeded to punch it a lot. And then turned it over and she saw the smashed body of the spider on this cushion. And she's like, that was one of the bad ones, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 that's one of the bad ones. It's like, uh-huh. look, if you, if you see something this big, chances are that's fine. Like, they're friendly. They'll, they'll just eat the stuff we don't like. Just leave them alone. Yeah, um, yeah in Ontario, where, where I live, we have one venomous snake and one venomous spider, but none of which can kill you if you are healthy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty well the same here with majority of our spiders. Like, even the worst one probably isn't going to kill you. You're just going to be very, very unhappy for a while. The, the funnel web? Yes. Ugh. <laughs> it's, it's big. <laughs> it does look like a spider if the devil invented spiders. I grant you, yes. It's, it's a horrible-looking thing. And it That's screams. a very good description. <laughs> Wait, it, it makes noise? Yes. That's terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nature's way of saying don't touch. Yeah, at least it has that. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but no, I mean, aside from that, like the most dangerous thing we have over here are politicians. And unfortunately, you're not allowed to, you know, squash them. I, I, I have heard in the news. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not great. Um, okay, so that's... That you, I mean, that game, it was never yours. That does sound like an amazing, like, even the title is just perfect. It's spot on. And and Bashir is is somebody who's, you know, an an up and comer in the design world. I I think I interviewed him on Asians Represent. We talked about um, Islam and D&D and Al-Qadim and a lot of the the old stuff. And uh, Bashir is very insightful. Like, I highly recommend it was never yours. Okay. I, I would love to have a chat to him as well, because, I mean, I I remember there was one D&D Al-Qadim video game, uh, The Genie's Curse, and I can tell it's not going to have aged well. Yeah, uh, you know what? After this, I'll, I'll put you in touch with Bashir. Thank you. Thank you. I'd, I'd love to have yeah, a chat to no him, because I, I agree with a lot of what you say, where it's like majority of classes in D&D are very, very Eurocentric. Like the monk is like, yeah, I can I can see a trying guys, but I don't. Hmm. And there is yeah. there is also uh, in Xanathar's the samurai, but I'm still not. And, and the kensai as well. Yeah, and the kensai, yeah, yeah. It's, um, they're not good. I actually every every Friday at seven p.m. Eastern on on Twitch, uh, Steve and I from Dungeons and Asians. We actually are live reading the 80s Oriental Adventures handbook. Why would you do that to people? <laughs> and, 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 and offering criticism. <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we streamed last week for two hours, and we made it 10 pages into the book. Oof. There were that- very good discussions, though. We had, our chat was like super engaged, and uh, it was actually really, really productive. That sounds cool because I, I know there was also that um, that other setting. The authors, I think, in the um, the name of good taste and not getting dragged anymore. I think it was called Dugatai or Dugatai. Yeah, they they got dragged. 
Yes. Yeah. Indeed, they did. Myst- Myst- Mystic Asia was the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, Ill faded. Well, yeah, and I remember um, I read some Twitter posts, and I forgot the person's name, but they're like, "Look, I'm the professional Asian that told them to not do it." Yep, that's HTT Paladin. Cool. Thank you, dude. Yeah, it's I was, good to I talk was... to you because you know shit. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I was I was on that that group of Asians who responded and kept talking to them behind the scenes just saying guys look um you you don't want to do this you really don't just just well they well they were they were basically told like you know you can make whatever you want but if you keep putting out what what you did we're just going to talk about it um and to be quite honest if they went to kickstarter with that product they would have made a buttload of money uh, irregardless of what the Asian community thinks, because there a there are so many you know non Asians who crave Asian content, and that's cool because I think Asian content is dope, right? Right? It's yeah. awesome. People but can't see, but my hand is very up. Yeah, in in yeah, saying yes, <laughs> I agree. I'm I would love more of this. Like I I yeah. know that I'm an uncultured man, so. A lot of people, well, a lot of people think that like only Asians want to tell Asian stories or interact with Asian culture, and that's so not true. Just by looking at the amount of Asian stuff on DMs Guild or that has been published by Palladium Press or even published by like TSR and Wizards of the Coast with Oriental Adventures from Third Edition, there is a huge demand for Asian content, but there are just very few Asian people actually creating it. And, and that is definitely a thing. And that's why it would have sold very well, regardless of what we thought. But we were very, very loud, and they decided that they would talk to, like, the community. And they were basically told, like, hey, look, like, what you should have done was start from the ground up with an Asian team and, you know, created something. They, they, they hired a consultant, and their consultant just did a very poor job. It, and I, I would want to drag them through through the through the over the coals or anything like that. But they essentially just didn't want to restart the project with an Asian team and decided that they would just scrap it and keep the things that were culturally agnostic and turn them into something else. I think that's probably a case of best possible result for everybody. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, okay, so to I guess to ask the question. I am very, very obviously when people look at me, they they very much see a non-Asian person. Um, Mm -hmm. If I say, I mean, I've said to you, look, I've I've got a character based on, um, and again, everyone, I apologize for my pronunciation. I'm a Yeah. Is it? Okay, cool. So can I just... You're you're not too off. My my also Chinese is not my first language. I was going to say, my pronunciation is not that great either. both ways. Yeah. I've heard it pronounced Zhuge and Juge Liang, like more of a J than a J sound. It, it's always going to be a J. Okay. With awesome. the Z8. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I've got a an analog for Juge Liang in one of my campaigns because, like I said, he's a baller and, you know, that yeah. needs to be respected. Um, you said, do what you're doing, but do no harm. Mm-hmm. What, what are the guiding principles of not doing harm that you would recommend? So, I mean, like, behind closed doors, people can do whatever they want, right? If a group of non-Asians want to 
play stereotypes. They they can do that in the the comfort of their homes, right? But when I say do no harm, I mean I mean in, I'll, I'll backtrack and say like, hey, you shouldn't do that in the first place. But I can't stop people from exercising their you know freedom of speech. But when it comes down to people who are producing content, actual plays, live streams, writing things, that's where the do no harm becomes very important. When people create content, there are a lot of uninformed consumers who look to this work and think, oh, this must be okay. It made it out to publication. But we live in a world where anybody can publish anything and make money on it. Uh, And so when I say, you know, create what you want to create, but do no harm, I mean, consider who might be affected by the character you've made, the book you've published. So if you're playing a character on an actual play and they are a blatant stereotype, that is an example of doing harm because your audience and the people who are around them are consuming that content and they are seeing these negative stereotypes. And for a lot of people who don't, maybe don't see a lot of Asian people, they then associate that with Asian people. Or say if you're producing D&D books and you write adventures or classes that play on very harmful stereotypes, we begin to see these things emerging in the minds of other people and we're seeing these stereotypes present at gaming tables. I, I especially, I would say, sensitive to that right now because we're living at a time when the American president is calling you know COVID-19 the Chinese virus and we're seeing a lot of violence against Asians because of these harmful stereotypes and these sort of negative pictures that have been falsely painted upon a very, very diverse and broad group of people. Um, And so when I say do no harm with what you create, I mean, make sure that this doesn't, you know, paint people in negative light. Undeservingly, I, I think that's an excellent word to add to it because I think you could. I mean, I think the word undeservedly is an interesting one in some cases. Like you could have, say, you know, an Asian villain in your campaign, and it's like, but I, are you just playing? Did you just want Jafar? Yeah, or or does your? For, for uh, or, I mean, it's totally, and it's like, and it's not to say that that's a really good point. It's not to say that Asians can't be portrayed as villains, like because that's totally totally okay but their rationale for being a villain they they try not to have your villains be one-dimensional let's let's not have jafar and why is your character a villain is it because of some trauma that they have or are they just like ho 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 i have this mustache um and i speak with this very very terrible accent um are they just evil for the sake of being evil or do they have a motivation because then this is where you're avoiding these stereotypes or it's the signifiers we use right so if we're going to have a chinese villain do they necessarily need to speak with this stereotypical chinese english accent probably not right what are some other signifiers of them being asian could it be the clothes that they wear the food that they eat the language that they speak but it doesn't have to be the accent that you bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, that's where they do no you harm. Can, you can say, you know, dark haired and golden skinned, and people immediately go, okay, I, I've got something. I, I realize those are not perfect, 
but it is in some ways a very, very good signifier to say, yeah, this person isn't white. Yeah, exactly. And so you don't have to say, oh, they, they smell of incense, right? That would be a, a bad example. Yeah, that's... a terrible example. But I've seen that. Yeah, I but, mean... you know, black hair and tan-colored skin, totally, right? Um, or like, oh, they're... You've just described this world, and you've talked about how people wear a certain kind of fabric, but then all of a sudden your villain is wearing silk. Yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. I mean, right? and, and this silk if they're like important, maybe. <laughs> yeah, silk if they're important. Maybe they're this... Um, like the leader of a mercenary party from afar or a mercenary company, and they're very, very rich. Or another really interesting signifier is, well, in Dungeons and Dragons, there's this like universal currency of the gold piece, right? But what if their 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 coinage is different? Hmm. Like no, I don't think I, a lot think of that's people. That's a good way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people do that, or their written language looks different. Yeah. I mean, you can even, I think you can also do a lot with describing musical instruments as well. Like if you say, well, you know, yeah. it's a, for example, to, to use the example of the zither, because it's, you know, yes. I've, I've obviously got Juge Liang on the brain. Um, it's distinct as well. It is. Um, actually, have you heard of the who? Or the who? I can't pronounce it. I'm really sorry, everyone. It's a Mongolian, like, metal band. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. They are totally awesome. Yeah, they're super cool. I love what they do with that stringed instrument. Like, there's a part in one of their songs where it sounds like a horse. And I thought, you, yeah, are, I don't, dude, you are the best. It's super cool. I don't know what it the is. instrument's called, but I'm very familiar with the band. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, if you were to describe a zither, you'd say it's a curious... Um, how many strings does it have? Is it a single string or is it a... Is oh, it multiple strings? I, I don't know. Okay. Everyone, this is us quickly Googling something. Uh, it is a, according to Wikipedia or the dictionary, a musical instrument consisting of a flat wooden sound box with numerous strings stretched across it. Um, there's the, the Asian version though, the Chinese yeah. equivalent would be, uh, and this is the part where you, you cut it out. <laughs> Uh, like like I said, I'm, I'm cool with people singing a little behind Josh's thing. Oh, the oh, here Gujang? The Gujang. Yeah, yeah Gujang. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's got 21, 25, or 26 strings. Yeah. And when you, you would yeah. say, you know, someone is plucking from a curious uh, horizontal stringed instrument that produces, um, I'd almost say, like, sharp, piercing but harmonious chords. Yeah. It, it, it's different to say a guitar. Like this has got a... Yeah, it's, it's, maybe it's laid flat across their lap. Yeah. Or it's on a, on a table or something. Um, I, I mean, like an, another really interesting one is like, what about their writing? Maybe they're writing vertically, hmm. depending on where you want to set this, right? Maybe they're writing vertically or maybe they're writing when, with characters um, that the players don't recognize. Yeah, but they but yeah. I mean, there are so many ways to do it. Other than the most offensive one would be the accent. Yeah, and look, as far as accents go, like I'm happy to do like certain American ones because I think, well, I'm I'm punching up, really. Yep. Um, I feel very comfortable doing Russian ones because you know, my Asian Raskaya, 
um, and I'm learning her language because our children yeah. will be bilingual, therefore so must I be. Um, but I would say, look, I, I do not even attempt the accent of someone who is not me. I just think, you know what? No, that's... You don't, you don't need to do accents. That's asking for trouble. That's something, I, I think that's something very interesting because people think that they have to do accents to create immersion or they have to do accents to distinguish characters from one another. But I think what people need to realize is you could simply change your rate of speech or your pitch or your tone to create characters or influence your narrative rather than something as specific as an accent. I would agree. Um, yeah. Now, Daniel, we, we always have one last question that we, we love to kind of put out there. Um, and, and the answer to this one may change given that we're all living inside at the moment. Um, how does Daniel take care of Daniel? What would you do for your self-care? Oh, what do I do for my self-care? Um, right now I'm playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Uh, <laughs> I play a lot of Animal Crossing. You know, I spend time with my girlfriend. I, you know, I have a wonderful, very, very large cat named Marla. Uh, but but for, for, for me, like, it's, you know, maintaining contact with all of my friends. And I'm very grateful that a lot of the, the people who I, a lot of my good friends, a lot of people I interact with on a daily basis are, you know, my gaming friends. So I, I, you always find me playing a lot of video games, <laughs> a lot that of video cool. games, particular, particularly Rainbow Six Siege. Yeah. I heard it's good. It, it's not my kind of game. It's like, no, I'm, I'm too old for this. My, my reflexes are bad. My internet's terrible. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let people. Down. Oh yeah, that's that's not your game. But what I like about it though is that it's got incredible Asian representation in that game. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's actually it's got a, a super toxic community. So I'm very happy that I play with friends. But it's got, I mean, if you if if your listeners are unfamiliar with the game. Uh, you play as members of Rainbow, which are like this international mil- paramilitary special forces group, and they they fight evil, uh, kind of like GI Joe. <laughs> uh, but well, like one thing I want to point out is, people don't go read Rainbow Six. No, it goes on for about three hundred pages too long, and honestly, his writing style—if you had played a drinking game—you'd be dead of alcohol poisoning. It's like oh. Hmm. He- it's don't don't touch don't touch the Rainbow Six books unless you're super into political thrillers. But they're not even the that good. Is, <laughs> no, they're not. Sorry. They're a little overrated. But the games are great because you basically they release pairs of operators who are the military characters, hmm. and they release them from different countries. And what's really cool um, is that they've represented you know Japan, China, Korea. And none of the characters are, you know, overtly sexualized or none of the characters are, are, are even, um, you know, a big thing you see about Asian men in media is that they're effeminate and they don't do that in the game either, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but also what they did was they, they made care, two characters from Canada. The one character is just like a, a white man, hmm. uh, but the other character is is actually a Chinese woman representing Canada. And that's cool. I feel like that's a super cool design choice and I think it's very reflective of Canada's, you know, multicultural nature and the contributions of, you know, the Chinese community to Canada's history, especially in war. Can, can I ask just just for the sake of Josh's morbid curiosity, 
What are the Australian representations look like? Do they say oh, crikey? Uh, do they say anything that no, we don't they actually don't. say? Oh, they don't? Oh, good. Just check. No, they don't. There's, there's, it's actually a really interesting one. The, so they always release two characters. One is an attacker and one is a defender because that's just how the game works. Uh, the attacker um, is a very, very short and thin man. Um, he's, he's, he's called Mozzie. And um, oh, he has this ability away. where he shoots these little robots, and they—he's um, very techy. He's a techy character. Uh, the attacker, the no, the, he's the defender. The attacker's name is Gridlock, and she's this very, very. Um, she's a very. She's like a foot taller than Mozzie, and she's buff and big and powerful. And she carries a machine gun, and it's awesome. The the Mozzie thing is interesting to me because that is our slang term for mosquito. Um, yeah, because he's got these little like um, yeah. robot things. I didn't know that was mosquito thing. It, it, yeah. The way he plays is kind of like that. <laughs> I am just like, oh, all right, okay, yeah, you got us. That's fair. That's fair. That is. But I, I love that game just because you know I play with my friends. It's it's very hard game, but I love the representation in it, and I like. It. Cool. I mean, that's just how I chill. Yeah, <laughs> I dig it. Excellent. Um, I live and breathe Asian representation. <laughs> And I think that's cool. I think we need we need that because I, I love. I mean, I I love. I, okay, I wouldn't say I love D and D, but I like it. As a D twenty system, it's functional. It works for what it needs to do. But I think we need more stories than you know. This says Josh, indicating his face. Yeah, I I, I mean, that's what I'm. That's what I'm hoping will happen. I mean, that's why we Asians represent as you know, a, an uh, our way of uplifting other people and showing off their work. I mean, it's it's a way for us to create a platform for other creators so that we can ensure that there are a lot more products that positively sort of represent our cultures out there. Um, and so, like, I've that's why I'm grateful that you had me on the show. Uh, it's it's midnight here in in Canada. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's okay, but like you know, I'm happy to talk about this, and that's why I'm you know I'm happy to use you know what little internet clout I have to shout out all of the other people who I think are dope. <laughs> Look, we 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 change these things one drop of water at a time. Yep, that's a good way of putting cool. it. And and Daniel, where where can people find you online? Yeah, I mean, if you, you haven't said represent. Asian represent, represent enough, I know that that's why I'm, uh, you know, got to rep the brand. Um, yeah, you can find the Asians Represent podcast on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at AZNS Represent, and on Twitch at AZNS Rep. Uh, you can find me on pretty much every social media platform uh, at Daniel H Kwan. That's Daniel H K W A N. Excellent. Um, Daniel, um, thank you very much again for your time. Um, my no name is Josh. I, I, I can be found nerdy people D and D. Uh, please check out um, not just this, but our Margrave thing and our game of Curse of Strahd. But he's a railway baron, and we got cowboys and steampunk. That sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it, way way to take something that is bad, got its problems, yeah, <laughs> and make get it very interesting. <laughs> yes, I, I don't just say bad because, you know, the Slavic connection. I've read it and gone, uh, I don't, this isn't for me, but it could be fun. Yeah, it could be fun if I do this. <laughs> if the villain isn't a sex criminal. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Daniel, again, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you.